Good morning, church. Good morning, new community. Uh, thank you, as always, worship team, for just an incredible time of worship. That took me back this morning. Uh, those were songs that I sang growing up um, in the small little missionary Baptist church. And uh, we took the blood seriously because everything was in red. Y'all remember that? Everything was in red. The seats were in red. The carpet was red. Everything was red for the blood. Um, and so that, that was very, I, I love the way uh, here at New Community, there is always a richness and a variety um, of worship and what it presents to us and helping us to see God in different facets. So thank you, uh, team. Thank you, Cece. Um, yeah. And so we are ending our series um, on disillusion today. Uh, but before I do that, I know last week some folks were like, oh, Pastor Nicole, what was the context of that announcement? I just want to say uh, it was about an email uh, concerning a personnel issue that was sent out. If it didn't get sent to you, don't worry about it. The only reason why it was mentioned uh, is because I wasn't sure who it went out to. And I did know that it went out to the congregation. So no worries, no frets. Uh, and speaking of personnel, many of you know uh, our dear friend and sister, uh, Constance, Director of Communications. She's taken some time off. She took some time off starting July or June. Um, I don't quite remember, but about two months ago. Uh, and so it was time off for her to rest discern and look at what her next steps were for uh, life in that new community. And she and I were going to check in around that seven-week mark. And unfortunately, we didn't get a chance to. But on that seven-week mark, she did email myself and the leadership team uh, to make us aware that she would be resigning just during her time away, it sounds like, uh, perhaps just discerning what next steps are. We have not had a chance, myself or the leadership team, to talk with and communicate with Constance yet. Uh, so I am not sure what her preference is on being contacted and next steps, but we just wanted to let you know uh, what was happening and what was going on. There will be an email following up this announcement uh, that will be sent out uh, tomorrow, more than likely just informing you all as the larger congregation of this change. More uh, time will come as we get more clarity and answers. And as I speak to Constance or the leadership team speaks to uh, uh, Constance, we'll give you more information as we have more information. But in the meantime, I want you all to remember those three T's we talked about last week, target, timing, and does someone remember the third T? Okay. My niece was paying attention, team. Um, <laughs> team. And so uh, just as we continue to move through uh, just the growth and the goodness that God is presenting to us as a church, let's remember that target timing and that we are a team. Amen. Amen. And so I want you to go with me to the gospel of Matthew. Um, as usual, I will be reading from the NLT. Matthew chapter 11, and I'm going to start at verse 1. Can I tell you all that I am very happy that it is cooling down outside? I am a fall person. And so uh, this morning I had to park 
a little bit further away, all the way down the street, um, and it, it felt like a mini marathon. Uh, but what was nice about that walk is that I got to meet a few of our neighbors on my way down the street. I was actually trying to parallel park. Uh, does anyone else have challenges with parallel parking? Okay. And so I was trying to parallel park uh, our, our SUV. It's our road trip car that I'm driving today. I usually drive a smaller car. But today, I said, you know what? I'm going to parallel park this ginormous car. And so our nice neighbor was walking his dog down the street and saw me pull in and out twice, probably many of you did. But this nice neighbor said, excuse me. And I turned down my worship music, rolled down the window, I said, yes. He said, you know, it's a park right up the street that you could just pull into it. And I looked at him, I didn't want to admit defeat. I said, thank you. And so I proceeded to go back to my parking space. He said, well, if you want to. And so, of course, I attempted to again, knowing that parallel parking is not my ministry. I, I did so anyway and uh, was unsuccessful. And I ended up taking the parking spot he recommended, and I later told him thank you. But that whole moment reminded me of how sometimes we as believers struggle with something, and it's really too big for us to handle on our own. And then there are times where people, a good neighbor, comes along and says, can I help you and give you some redirection? And oftentimes in our pride, because that's what it was for me in that moment, because I knew I wasn't going to park that car, y'all. I knew it, but I had to try just one more time, try and fail uh, before I, I accepted uh, what was going to happen. But that nice neighbor helped me to get to the space that I need so I can maneuver what I was carrying with greater ease. So much of this series, as we talk about doubt, is about maneuvering heavy things. And this sermon series is not meant to condemn or anything like that. It is to help you move through the hard and heavy things that you carry. So much even of our uh, unifying service that is coming up, it is about how do we carry these heavy things of transition in a way that we can maneuver them well. And so as we wrap up this series today around doubt and um, how we carry heavy things. I want you to be encouraged to just know that uh, this series, this community, our brothers and sisters in Christ are here to help us lighten the load. This series, this message is here to help lighten the load. Amen. So Matthew chapter 11, verse 1. It says, when Jesus had finished giving these instructions to his 12 disciples, he went out to teach and preach in towns throughout the region. John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard all about the things the Messiah was doing. So he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the Messiah we've been expecting, or should we keep looking for someone else? Verse 4, Jesus told them, go back to John and tell him what you have heard and seen, the blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. And he added, 
God blesses those who do not fall away because of me. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that you are a good father and you love to give good gifts. We thank you, God, for the gift of this day, for this is the day that you have made. And we uh, pray that we would continue to rejoice and be glad in it. We thank you, God, that your presence is here. And we ask, God, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you continue, God, uh, to change us, challenge us, draw us into deeper relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we all say, amen. One of the things we've talked about in this series is expectations and how sometimes uh, our faith is kind of spirals um, into a dark place uh, because there have been unmet expectations. One of the places in our lives where, uh, or that we see in life, where unmet expectations can be really apparent um, the institution we can see it most in uh, that I have found in my years of pastoring is in marriage, right? In the marriage counseling I've done over the years, uh, and people are struggling and um, trying to work their way to better communication, better relationships, so on and so forth, at the heart of why I see um, people struggling is that doubt begins to creep up in their marriages and in their other, in their relationship. And so they begin to question uh, their relationship and their marriage. They begin to ask questions of themselves and their partner, but it's usually because something they expected out of this relationship fell apart. But not just anything, right? Uh, it's, it's the thing that caused them to enter freely and fearlessly into the relationship, the thing they supposed was rock solid and undeniably true. And so uh, this, this same line of logic about entering into relationships in a way where we go, there is something in this relationship that makes us feel safe, feel secure, and when that thing is rocked, uh, then we step back and we begin to question everything. So even though I'm talking about something in the context of marriage, just know that this same kind of line of logic can be applicable in all areas, right? Uh, but, you know, it's easy to kind of relate it to the marriage thing. And I know uh, people who are dating or married, you may know this, right? But especially my married folks, you know, uh, when you all were dating, he opened all the doors. You know what I'm saying? He was so thoughtful, right? And so you thought this quality was going to be applicable in all areas. You know what I mean? That, that logic kind of occurred to you. You thought he'll not only do this with opening doors and be thoughtful about opening doors, he'll do this with chores too. He'll wash those dishes all the time. They'll never be closed outside of the laundry hamper. Okay, I got one married person in the room today, but my married people helped me out. Y'all know what I'm saying. We, we assume that all the good things that we experienced in dating would continue to carry over to every single area. And for fellas, it's the same thing. I don't want to leave you out. She's so accommodating. She's so understanding. Therefore, 
when there's a guy's night. Therefore, when there is something else going on and I'm late at work, she will be the same way. But the truth of the matter is different circumstances bring out different things in us. Yeah? Different uh, 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 areas, different places, different contexts bring out different things in us. And the truth is, it does not mean that person is not loyal. It does not mean they are not loving, that they are not authentic, that they are not true. It just means that I am looking at this from a different viewpoint than what I entered into. John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus, he enters into his ministry a certain way. So he was always able to look at Jesus, talk about Jesus from this place of excitement, of faith, of truth. He is the one announcing, here is the Savior. But that begins to change when his view is from the other side of a prison wall. The context changed. But the character of who Jesus was remained the same, but the context was different. And so he had a hard time marrying the two together. The context doesn't match the character. And sometimes we feel like that about people, places, or things. We experience something, and sometimes it's not actually the person or the thing, it's the context. For John, in this case, it was the context. He was looking up, and like we do when we experience hard things, we begin to ask questions. What did I miss? What did I believe that I shouldn't have believed? What, where am I at? What have I done? Did I make the wrong choice? Or you begin to ask questions like, do they really love me? Yeah. Do they really care? Are they really invested in who I am and who I want to become. All of this because there was one thing we assumed would always be true, meaning we always thought we would operate from this place with God. <laughs> John always thought that he would be by the riverside baptizing and preparing the way for the Lord. He imagined what preparing the way for Jesus looked like, and it never included a prison. When we imagine what preparing the way of the Lord looks like, we never quite imagine a prison. Whether it be a prison of suffering, whether it be a prison of doubt, no matter what it is, we don't quite imagine that. So we struggle when we are in a different context because we start to ask, about the character because the context is confusing. I know I'm preaching good. <laughs> I'm all right with that. The Bible says David encouraged himself. I'm just keeping it biblical. But this is how it is with the gospel, right? The good news comes, but it doesn't always perpetuate the feelings of happiness and goodness and glad tidings that we want. Sometimes the gospel instead is interrupted by the reality of death, disease, sickness, and scarcity. 
Sometimes the good news is interrupted by that, and these kinds of things can easily move us from demeanors of adoration to abhorrence. What we loved, we now loathe. The good singers, Stacy Lattisaw and Johnny Gill. <laughs> I like the way the folks in this corner, they say, we know who that is. We know where she going, all right. But Stacy Lattisaw, y'all can look them up later, and Johnny Gill, they said the words, they said it best. They said, where do we go from here? Do we walk away or do we keep on trying? That was my audition for the worship team. But I think I sang that good. That was by accident. But will you consider me? Is that, was that okay? Did I, did I get the note? Okay. Let's talk about it later. I got excited. I did that by accident. But that's what they said. Do we walk away or do we keep trying? They sang about something we all experienced. John the Baptist is in prison and he started to go, do I walk away or do I keep on trying and do I keep on introducing and preparing the way of the Lord? This crossroads left him in doubt. He was unsure. But I, I, I like John because he didn't give up. He had a fighting kind of spirit. You know, I don't know about you, but I, I, I think that's like a gift of faith. There are some things sometimes that I'm like, I just want to quit. I don't want to believe that promise anymore. But then there is something in me that nags me. Like, you cannot let this go. And I wonder if John was there trying to walk away from the Savior and everything he knew, but it was nagging him. His friends, his disciples came alongside of him, maybe to encourage him. And then he said, you know what? Go ask Jesus. Is he the one? Is he the Messiah? What? Can, can you just get some clarity for me? Because all of us want clarity when our context is confusing. All of us want clarity when it seems like the character of God is not matching our experience. John said, will you go and get me some clarity? The disciples of John went to Jesus and they said, listen, here's the question. Are you who you say you are? Are you really the Messiah? Because this, this context, I mean, I'm not John Jesus, but it is confusing. How is he preparing the way here? How? And then Jesus, and I love how Jesus answers. He says, tell John that the blind are receiving sight. Ah, the deaf are hearing. The paralyzed are walking, and people are receiving the good news. Jesus could have simply said, yes, I am the Messiah, but Jesus knows that you can't just simply deal with doubt in a yes or no sort of answer. So he says, tell him what you're seeing. 
Tell him what is happening. See, my character is still constant even when your context changes. That was good. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Mother. God's character is still constant even when the context changes. Now, if I'm John, okay, because some, sometimes I, I straddle the fence of salvation. Can I be honest? Okay, I, I kind of am like in and out. Like, you know, I'm not all the way saved. Sometimes I'm more like safe. You know, like I know I'm going to heaven if Jesus come back sort, sort of thing. Does anybody else kind of, you know, every now and again. You, you know what I'm saying? Um, you, you go, thank God I'm saved. But every now and again, you, you're safe and not saved. You know what I'm saying? You know you're getting in heaven, but you, you're still trying to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So I, I feel like if I'm John and my context is what it is and I'm not clear and I asked you a question, Lord, and you come back and you don't tell me yes, I feel like there would be a part of me that would be cynical. Like, what, what do you mean? That's not what I asked. I know you've been doing that, but that's not what I asked you, Jesus. You know, I, I feel like there would be a frustration that would rise that I wouldn't be quite sure that perhaps I would throw something down, throw my towel in and say, Jesus, this is not what I wanted to hear. I wanted you to say yes and then say yes and come get me out of this cell. But Jesus doesn't do that. And it's okay when we wrestle. It's okay when we're on that line and we're not quite sure when we have those interactions with God where we ask hard questions, where we display difficult emotions. And if you go, no, you can't do that, read the book of Psalms. Because David said what he said. He felt what he felt. It was deep. He poured out himself to God. And so I believe he does that because that is a human response when things don't quite line up with what we understand. And I do believe John was thinking to himself, how do I prepare a way from here? But Jesus does not give him an easy answer, but he gives him a true answer. Yeah. The easy answer is just to say, yes, I'm the Messiah. Just take whatever is happening to you and, you know, deal with it and work through it. No, no, no. He gives him a true answer. The blind are seeing. That's the truth. Ears are opening. That is the truth. People are being delivered. That is the truth. The dead are being revived, that is the truth. The paralyzed are walking, that is the truth. And what I can assume from there is that if that is the truth, then you are the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life is what Jesus 
says, and so he doesn't give an easy answer. He gives an answer that will appeal to the places in John that are struggling with the doubt, that are going, where do I go from here? Do I walk away or do I keep on trying? He appeals to that. He doesn't just give him a simple, easy yes, because that easiness will hold him over temporarily until the next hard thing happens. But he says, I'm going to give you something more to hold on to. I'm going to give you something more to hold on to. Jesus is showing John that this doubt does not have to leave him in despair. But it can allow him to have a greater dependence on God. Because when John hears these words of Jesus, he does have a choice. I can continue to be in this place of despair and doubt, or I can lean in even more. And that's almost the antithesis of what we want to do in that moment. We don't want to lean in, we want to lean away. <laughs> I want to lean away. And then God says, no, I want you to lean in more. John hears the report of all these miraculous things, and then he not only hears that, he hears these words too. He says, Jesus says, blessed are those who are not offended by me. Hmm. I feel like that's a really crucial piece of Jesus' message to John, even more than the reports of miracles, signs, and wonders. Why? Because it is an invitation to completely trust. To completely trust. And remember I talked about context. One of the things that John has to trust is he has to trust his placement in the moment. Now that's hard. That's hard. He has to trust his placement. He has to trust where he is. He has to trust his position. God, I am in the midst of a storm. Remember the disciples are on the boat and uh, it's a storm and they are freaking out and they're like, Jesus, are you going to wake up or is something going to happen? I don't want to be in this context. But Jesus is like, if I am with you, you can always trust my character no matter the context. I know you're confounded and disoriented and unsure, John, but trust your placement. I was reading this book um, and one of the writers was a guy who was a surfer and he had talked about his experience and how he became a surfer, what he loved about the water, so on and so forth. But one of the things he talked about is a time that he was almost taken out by a big wave. He said he was surfing and all of a sudden there's this giant wave that came and he had a choice in that moment to either try to get out of it so he wouldn't get overtaken and, you know, potentially killed or lean into it. He said what he learned in that moment against his instinct to lean away, he said he leaned in and he rolled the wave. And I just love that 
because there are times in our life where we are going to have to ride it out. We are going to have to lean in and ride the wave, which leads me to my next point, just in case you think, oh, that's not biblical enough for me. Genesis 32, <laughs> we're told of a story, and you don't have to go there if you don't want, but you can just make a note. We're told of a story of one of the patriarchs of faith, Jacob. Jacob has to confront some things as it concerns his upbringing, his family, the choices he believed he was forced to make because of his circumstances, the difficult journey he had to trudge and is now having to confront his past with his estranged brother. Jacob is at a crossroads. His context has changed, but Jacob wrestles. And in his painful pining for answers, because sometimes going after answers and knocking on the door is difficult, but in his painful pining for answers, a greater faith was forged, the greater intimacy was paved. It was in his vulnerability as he bore the weight of his familial hurts and personal, individual inadequacies that he begins to strive for a greater resolve and a greater faith, but instead God leads him to rest. Man. Sometimes trust, yes, looks like us pressing. But then sometimes trust looks like rest. Resting and trusting God to answer. Because sometimes the wrestling, <laughs> you know, when you get frustrated and tired enough, you know, there is a point where God says, yes, wrestle, but wrestle so we can get to a resolve, not wrestle for the sake of wrestling. And sometimes, you know, I've been there before, we can wrestle for the sake of wrestling just because we are hard-headed <laughs> or like I was at Mark Parkin's face earlier, hard-headed and proud, like I got this, I can do it, still end up parking somewhere else, right? But sometimes we can wrestle just to wrestle. But God wants us to instead be invited into this place where we trust him, like the wrestling should end in trust, not in continued striving. This trust in the mystery of God, in the mystery of the context that we're in when we don't have the clarity. God invites us to courageously, hear this, God invites us to courageously coexist with the intangible, indescribable, yet undeniable presence of God. Man, to coexist no matter what the context, to coexist with the intangible, with the indescribable yet undeniable presence of God. Jacob 
does so, even though today's message is not about him, but he is a good reference point. Jacob does so. And he comes out with a limp to prove it. Can I tell you something? Sometimes people think when we go through something and it is resolved, that it is perfect. It's resolved, so it's perfect. I've had several minor surgeries over my lifetime. The issue is resolved, but the place where I was operated on is not perfect. There's still a scar. And the scar gives way to my story. Now I'm not in pain and suffering like I was, but my scar tells a story. Can I tell you something? Your scar tells a story. Too often we want to emerge from the madness and the mess with no scars, but your scar tells a story. The scar is not indicative of you still having a problem or carrying around a disease or something that is messing with you. No, no, no. Sometimes the scar is just the entry point to tell a story. How many of you all have scars somewhere where people have asked you about them, right? Especially in the summertime. I have like this cut and this little bruise on my knee, and every now and again somebody will say, oh, what's that scar from? It gives me a chance to tell a story. But too often, we want to hide our scars. But listen, even if you emerge from the madness with the limp, go ahead and limp. Okay? Go ahead and limp. You know, I want to actually demonstrate to you all what that should look like, but I'm not. I'm going to resist the urge to do a limp walk in front of y'all. I am. I'm a, should I? No, okay. No. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. No, I'm just, <laughs> okay, somebody said hurry up and get her off the stage. Um, but even if you have a limp, Walk proud with it. It's part of your story because it's proof that God loves you enough that he lets you yell, cry, scream, and even fight because it brought you into closer proximity with him. See, that's what wrestling does. You know, I used to watch my husband and my nephew or my younger brothers, they would play and they would wrestle, right? You know, because guys do this kind of thing <laughs> for no reason, just to mess up the pillows on my couch. But when you wrestle, you have to come into close proximity with. <laughs> you can't wrestle from a distance, and God knows that. So God is not afraid of the wrestling because he says wrestling is just going to bring you into a closer proximity with me. It's going to bring you to a place, yes, of resolve in the sense of we can rest and have a greater trust, but it doesn't have to be perfect because our scars tell the story that we kept on, that we can keep on loving and trusting, that we can keep on keeping on even when we don't have clarity 
in our context. Because listen, I think there are lots of things we can all agree that we don't always get about the Bible. If you've ever read through the entire Bible, there is a story or two that makes you go, hmm, right? There are things that you question and you wonder, you know, how do I really pray authentically and genuinely for my enemies? How do I forgive really 70 times seven? How do I offer the other cheek when one gets slapped? How do I do that? And that's just to name a few. But when I've resolved to keep loving and trusting, I do so even when it's inconvenient. And actually, we ought to do so, especially when it's inconvenient. Back to John. John is in the cell, and there's nothing convenient, y'all, about his situation. Just nothing. But even in the midst of his doubt, he still chooses Jesus. Human life, can I say this, is complex. It is complex. We will wander, and we will wonder, we will ponder, we will panic, but after that, we will trust again. Many folks may think John allayed his doubts and fully went back to trusting, but what if he just resolved to choose faith even when the moment was inconvenient. John carries this faith, I believe, all the way up to the moment because later on, spoiler alert, John is executed. But ultimately, he knew God could be trusted. Can we trust God even when our position is complex and does not offer clarity? Can we trust that we are in the right place? Can we resolve to believe even when it's inconvenient? I'll wrap with this and say, I don't know your story this morning. Perhaps you're like John and you're locked in your own type of prison, gazing beyond the bars of grief, disappointment, doubt, abandonment, loneliness, confusion, depression, fear, I, I, I don't know. Perhaps even the news that was shared this morning prior to my sermon, that, that has you in a place, in, in a way, understandably so. But here's an invitation for you to still trust God's character even when the context does not lend itself to that trust. There is a way to still choose Jesus this morning even when we wrestle through and with, with things And if that's you this morning, regardless of what your context may be right now, 
That could be your marriage. It could be something going on in your marriage. You're having issues with your spouse. Perhaps it's your children. Perhaps it's your work. There's something going on at work and it is causing you to feel flustered. I don't know what it is, but God does. And so I want to invite you into a moment, if that's you this morning, if you are gazing from any context right now that is confusing, <laughs> and that context makes you, makes you question the character of God, if that is you, regardless of what that thing may be, I want to invite you into a moment where, one, you close your eyes. Close your eyes if that's you this morning because we're gonna have a moment together. And as your eyes are closed, I just want you to listen to my voice and follow these instructions. I want you to take a deep breath. Let's take one more deep breath together. And right from the place where you are, one, recognize that it is the breath in your lungs that is the gift from God. And just as you can trust the breath that you took, say this simple prayer to yourself as your eyes are closed. Just say, Jesus, I'm here to trust and try again. Let's say that prayer one more time. It's really simple. Jesus, I'm here to trust and try again. I don't know about you, but I believe today is the start <laughs> of a try and trust again revival. That God is leading us in places where we are going to see his hand and his glory like never before. And so be encouraged today that no matter the context, no matter the struggle, no matter what happens when doubt comes your way, know that you can try and trust again. And even if you emerge with a limp and a scar, let that be the introduction to the story you'll tell about his goodness. Amen. Let's worship.